Welcome back to Uncommentary. Thank you for your patience as I took some time off to kind of reorient myself and get some mental energy back. Uh, you're going to notice something different about this episode, and it's only going to be this episode, and that is because I lost track of time. I enjoyed my time off so much that I completely lost track of where I was on the calendar, and I didn't get the files over to my engineer, James Peach, in time for him to do the, the magic on this episode. So this is what you're going to notice. There's no music bed anywhere in it. Uh, the normal ads are gone, and you you might even hear me say in the middle, this is where an ad is going to go. It depends on whether I can edit that part out or not. Another thing that you're going to notice is the uh, sound is not level. Uh, that's what's going on here. And so now on to uh, this great interview with Mark Knoll. This episode of Uncommentary is brought to you by Churchlytics. Are you struggling to understand your church analytics and metrics? You're not the only one. Most church leaders struggle to know and view ministry data. How many podcast downloads are you getting? How many Facebook likes are you getting? What's happening on your website? Everybody has a hard time wrangling all that data. Well, now there's a custom dashboard solution for you and your church. My buddy Josh Breland runs Churchlytics, and he can put all your church data in one beautiful custom dashboard so you can know more to lead better. Learn more and get started at churchlytics.com. That's churchlytics.com. Com. Well, I'm super happy today uh, and honored, actually, to have uh, Dr. Mark Knoll, who is currently research professor of history at Regent College. I got the, that is your current title, right? Because you've been you've been titled a lot, right? I believe that's uh, correct. Okay, <laughs> you uh, you have your own Wikipedia page, which is always a cool thing. Um, you have been influential in uh in world world christianity to a degree but certainly in american christianity you were named um in 2005 by time magazine as one of the 25 most influential evangelicals in america won the national humanities medal i actually did not know that what is that what is that for did you save someone's life no it was uh much much less uh, dramatic than that uh the national humanities award is uh, uh, given each year at the recommendation of the Council for the National and uh, National Institute for the Humanities, and I was privileged to be given that award in the uh, let's see the spring of two thousand or the fall of two thousand and six. Excellent. Well, congratulations about uh, on that. Um, written a number of books. You've edited some. Uh, we'll talk a one about one today that you've edited, or at least some of the content from it. Uh, I think a lot of people are probably most familiar with the scandal of the evangelical mind, um, where you're taking on uh, the fact that evangelicals aren't using their brains as much as they should be. Um, and so, Dr. Mark Knoll, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Uncommentary. Well, thank you. I've uh, enjoyed uh, looking at and listening to some of the commentaries you've done and, and appreciate the effort to try to be serious about, you know, serious topics. That's awesome. Well, um, I know a lot of people will recognize your name and they'll know you as an author and historian and all that, but um, what are some, what's something that people might not know about you? Kind of the personal bio side. Well, uh, historians live pretty uh, dull and uninteresting lives. You go to the library, <laughs> give a lecture, write a book. I, I think I've, it's probably been uh, an important part of my life to have had a good experience teaching at Wheaton College for almost 30 years, an wow. evangelical uh, Protestant college, and then to have 10 years at the University of Notre Dame, a Catholic research university. 
Um, I was a, a, more or less a successor for George Marsden, who was also an evangelical Protestant mm-hmm. teaching at uh, Notre Dame. And it was a great, great privilege to have uh, PhD students and to work in an environment that was not Protestant, but that was uh, certainly interested in maintaining a strong uh, a Christian presence in a Catholic uh, way in, in modern United States. Yeah. We moved back to the Wheaton area after um, I retired from Notre Dame to be uh, closer to our family. And, and uh, my wife and I have been associated with the same church for now, gosh, 45 years. Is that possible? Wow. Uh, uh, and, and we had friends in that church. And so we're delighted to be uh, uh, worshiping and living with them, acting again with them yeah. uh, today. That's fantastic. Well, we are going to be talking about evangelicalism uh, today. So I, you probably don't know, but I grew up Southern Baptist. So my mother uh, professed faith in Christ when I was about three years old. And we immediately started going to the local Southern Baptist church. And then virtually my entire life. So 55 ish years, other than about two years, I, I've been in Southern Baptist churches. So I remember people saying, we're not evangelical, we're Southern Baptist. <laughs> and you, uh, you make a, you have a funny, uh, comment in the recent book evangelicals where you, you actually parentheses before you include Southern Baptists as evangelicals, like leaving them a little wiggle room in case they're not happy about it. Um, but Evangelicals have been in the news recently a lot, especially um, white evangelicals. And um, so your most recent work that you've edited with uh, Marston and uh, Bevington deals with the history of evangelicalism, kind of where evangelicals are, and then what y'all think might be coming in the future. But the thing I appreciate, appreciate about the book is that you're looking at it from a global perspective and situating American evangelicalism within the global perspective. So I think it will help uh, our listeners if you can talk a little bit about evangelicalism historically, define it, and uh, tell everybody where it came from. Right. There really really isn't a whole lot of controversy over the the use of the term evangelical as an adjective. Um, the, 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 the characteristics that David Bevington identified in his book on evangelicalism in Great Britain, 1989, can be modified slightly, and some have modified, but they're, they're good. Uh, in, in David's terms, evangelical Protestantism, now I think we have to say evangelical Christianity, evangelicalism is a religious emphasis in which uh, four, four characteristics are prominent conversion, or we could say a, a personal relationship with, with Christ, uh, treatment of the Bible as supreme religious authority, emphasis upon the cross of Christ as a central key theological and life-giving element of the Christian story, and then, and then a, a certain degree of activity, often of evangelism, but it can be uh, other kinds of activity. That, defi- that set of characteristics really is not problematic. What has become problematic, however, is the use of the term evangelical for partisan political identification. And you mentioned the, uh, the spread of, of, of evangelical characteristics around the world. Many places around the world would share these characteristics to some degree or another, but not necessarily use the term evangelical for themselves. And that actually brings us back to, to uh, U.S. history and to the Southern Baptists, because you're entirely right certainly for a majority of Southern Baptists, way into the probably 1980s, 1990s, even the 21st century, 
would have said, well, we're Southern Baptists, and we may have some evangelical characteristics, but we're not evangelical. That's a yeah. Northern word. That's Carl <laughs> Henry. That's uh, uh, Billy Graham and his friends. We might like Billy Graham, but but uh, and certainly he's one of us, but yeah. he's also associates with them. So the book was trying to, to say, well, what has been the history of history writing? And I think it's, it's, it's also uh, fairly conventional that until World War II, there is not really much writing on the history of evangelicals as such. There's certainly tons of writing on the Wesleyan movement as evangelical, Baptist movements as evangelical, certain elements in the Church of England as evangelical, uh, the Lutherans called evangelical coming out of, of Germany. So the evangelical word as an adjective is not, it's just been there a long, long time. Mm. But writing about evangelicals per se is really post, post-war. post And Bevington and George Margin, we mentioned, are, were really leaders, along with Timothy Smith, probably at uh, Johns Hopkins University, a Nazarene of Wesleyan background, were, were oh, the wow. historians uh, getting this movement uh, going. Today, with the uh, intense uh, uh, emphasis on uh, political position, the word evangelical, or more, more properly speaking, white evangelical, has become a, a political marker. Mm. And, and uh, I, I and others, I think, maybe on many sides of the political uh, uh, equation, are disturbed that what has been primarily, in, in historical terms, a religious designation has now moved over into partisan politics. Mm. <laughs> what, and then um, the world. You, you, yes, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, Southern Baptists sent Billy Graham as an ambassador to evangelicalism. Right, that's right, that's I how agree. that worked. That's good. <laughs> that, 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 that probably explains it very well. And then the, the world dimension. Um, are are the, uh, the the booming churches, uh, the, the multiplying church, rapidly multiplying churches in, in the uh, sub-Saharan Africa evangelical? Are the uh, churches that are multiplying very rapidly in, in places like Nepal, China, are these evangelical? Well, in, in, in the characteristics defined by David Bevington, in some sense they are. In terms of the political use of white evangelical as a term in recent American political discourse, it's not completely unrelated, but almost Yeah, unrelated. yeah. What do you, um, oh, there's a question that just flitted through my mind as you were talking about that very subject. Um, well, I don't know. Let's just let's just continue then. Um, so historically, we have um, the four. Oh, this is this is the question you mentioned in the book, and and I, I I sometimes get frustrated with this. And you can tell me whether I'm overreacting uh, when I say that it's almost like a sleight of hand how the uh, word evangelical is used, because these four markers are out there. And even if someone says, oh, I don't consider myself an evangelical, if the pollster, whoever it might be, asks the four questions and they answer according to the quadrilateral or something similar to that, then they're categorized as an evangelical, even if they don't categorize themselves as an evangelical. And I've always found that a little problematic. I'm not saying it's deceitful. I'm just saying it's a little problematic to me. Um, how should we think about, I, and you, I, I know you mentioned that in a book, it may be even in your closing essay, um, that there is this issue of definition versus how people think of themselves. 
how does that affect the political side of things? How, how we view uh, evangelicals around the world, even. Right. There is a lot of slippage in, in the usage of the term. And I think the, the prominent example of that has to, has to do with the American political landscape. Uh, black African-American churchgoers overwhelmingly display evangelical characteristics. But in a political discussion, if someone says evangelical, they're automatically thinking of the white Protestant, a little bit of Catholic, but, but, but white Christian uh, voters who since the Ronald Reagan years have been strong for the Republican Party. Well, th that's not incorrect entirely, but what's missing is the understanding that the black church going population in the United States is in religious terms, overwhelmingly evangelical, and it's been the most reliable component of the democratic vote since the mid since, since probably John F. Kennedy and, and, the, and the 1960s. So mm -hmm. the slippage is between uh, a, 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 an arena that is looking primarily at religious characteristics and an arena that's looking at partisan political identification. And then for the world, um, the real issue is no longer politics, but actually comes back to religion. There was a really fine uh, uh, studies done recently by Brian Stanley, recently retired from the University of Edinburgh as the main chair in the center for the study of world Christianity. He wonders, for example, if the charismatic movements, the, the Holy Spirit inspired movements in sub-Saharan Africa, mm -hmm. still retain an emphasis upon the cross of Christ in the same way that the Wesley brothers, Jonathan Edwards, uh, uh, D.L. Moody, uh, the main revivalist in the 19th century, Billy Graham have done. So mm -hmm. that, that's actually an, another issue of definition, but it's an issue of definition that comes back to religion, and it's just completely different from uh, the slippages that take place in the United States with respect to our political terrain. Do evangelicals around the world uh, view American evangelicals right now as like the crazy uncle who uh, is kept outside at the family reunion? Quite a few of them uh, either have that attitude or just are bewildered. Hmm. We are pleased to include in, in the book that you mentioned an essay by Brian Stiller, who is a, an official of the World Evangelical Fellowship. And he uh, writes quite calmly and, and uh, with a great deal of, of uh, discernment about the American situation, because he says, well, of course, what you folks in the United States are talking about are important matters. But as I travel around the world, I interact with people who are connected to the World Evangelical Fellowship, mm -hmm. important parenthesis. Again, they don't always use the term evangelical for themselves. But I travel around the world with, to, to visit people who are uh, committed to the, the goals, the principles, the convictions of the World Evangelical Fellowship. And these people are concerned about uh, uh, food. They're concerned about sometimes governmental oppression. They're concerned about getting along with other similar groups in their own regions. And they're just, just not uh, tied up in knots over what's happening in the United States of America. So the world situation is important because um, the people who can be identified in the world by the Bevington characteristics or, or similar characteristics have evangelical are overwhelmingly not in the United States, mm -hmm. but in other parts of the world. 
recently, I'm, I'm probably going to say his name wrong. Uh, Rene Padilla yeah. um, passed away. And yeah. I, I, I mean, to my shame, I'd not, to my knowledge, I'd not even ever heard his name in my entire life. Um, but I saw a, uh, a young man uh, who's a professor at Wheaton uh, talking about him. So I ordered a couple of books from eBay uh, and they both happened to be around the time that, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce this word to Lasan. Lasan, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, that he and the kind of third world version, the third world Christians had shown up, had been a part and had like lodged a complaint about you guys aren't getting this all right. Um, there, there's some things you need. So I, one of his books, uh, that I got was like the 18 statements or the 18 positions right. that right. they felt like needed to be included. And I, as I read down that I, it resonated with me so strongly that this is, this is what I think the Bible is teaching us to do. This, this is really what I feel like the Bible is calling us to so it seems to me still that, that we're, we're actually like walking that same split still today where you've got the world evangelicals that have much, and I'm just going to use the word social justice because it is the kind of the nomenclature um, that they're concerned about those issues, as you just mentioned, food and, and hunger and water and uh, safety. And Americans are still arguing about who we're going to vote for. And is that bridge ever going to be crossed or is it ever going to even be finished being built? Right. Yeah. Well, uh, the bridge exists. It it it's you lost sight of because of fireworks over uh, over other things. Uh, <laughs> but the kind of uh, of contribution that Rene Padilla and a few others, mostly from Latin America, at the Lausanne Congress on World Evangelization, 1974, sponsored by the Graham Organization, funded large part by North Americans, their contribution was to say. Your emphasis that you're concerned about an evangelization for personal conversion, the personal work of the Holy Spirit is a very good thing, but that should not be divorced from the Christian's concern for structures in society, for the need for organizations to campaign for justice alongside conversion. And, and at that meeting, there was dis, some dis, people were disconcerted. There was some pushback, but there was also a lot of support. Uh, John Stott from England uh, came on board very early on. Billy Graham took a little more uh, convincing, but he came on too. So the Lausanne Covenant, which is the document from that meeting, is a very strong statement about uh, the sovereignty of, of God, about the truthfulness of the scriptures, about the need for conversion, but also about the need for, for some kind of social involvement that is asking that not who's in charge, but who needs what that the church can bring. Mm. And that, that has been a really distinct contribution of the Latin American theological fraternity, which Rene Padilla uh, uh, was instrumental in starting, and from Christian groups throughout the world, as well as then some in North America who have, who have been lost sight of because of the tremendous concentration on political matters. Mm. So coming out, so 20 years after, basically, from 1975 to 1994, things are rocking on in evangelicalism. And then you publish a book called the scandal of the evangelical mind. And I tried my best to find my copy so that I could like read from it, read from the Holy grail as I had you on here and I couldn't find my copy. But as I remember it, it opens with the scandal of the evangelical mind is that there's not much of an evangelical mind or something like that. Uh, is that still the case? 
Yes, yes, I think it is. Uh, uh, but of course, I'm an academic, so I have to say it's complicated and, and I need to explain things. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> um, the evangelical characteristics that we uh, talked about that are active in North America and active around the world really do have a meaning for religious life. There, uh, there's a certain um, way of walking, talking, living, and but you can see this this person or group is is evangelical. When it comes to the life of the mind, however, when it comes to intellectual questions, it's much less clear that there is an evangelical way of thinking. Mm. We have, as an example, in the United States, uh, a lot of people who, who uh, go to the uh, the, the, the uh, model of, of Noah's Ark that's near Cincinnati, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, just, just to, into Kentucky. The Ark Endeavor. The Ark Endeavor. And, and yeah. you have a picture there of serious evangelical people who believe that the earth is very young and and don't believe uh, that there's evolution of species. In the United States, we also have an organization called BioLogos, founded by uh, Francis Collins, who is currently the head of the National Institute of Health, maintained by uh, people who are clearly evangelical people who say no, um, evolution is not inherently, not not, uh, uh, intrinsically anti-Christian, anti-God, uh, evolutionary philosophy might be, but not the study of the species, not looking at, at the, uh, the, the way in which uh, biology develops, not looking at the heavens, not looking at the age of the earth. So we, you would say, now, which are the true evangelicals? Mm. They have an opposite point of view on um, matters of science, but in religious terms, they look very, very, very similar. And you could, you could take that example and multiply it. Mm. Um, um, How should the Bible be interpreted? Should the Bible be interpreted literally? This is one of the worst questions ever formulated (laughs) for for, uh, asking the American public. Yeah. Uh, There there are evangelicals who would say, well, if if, uh, uh, Genesis chapter one says the world was created in six days and the Lord rested, then that means 24 hours, 24 hours, 20, it's right there. And then there'll be, other evangelicals say, well, in order to uh, figure out what day means in Genesis chapter one, we have to do some research and we have to find out what, ha- what the, in the ancient Middle East people were talking. So th- those are questions that being an evangelical really does not help you answer. Mm-hmm. So evangelicalism or evangelical characteristics do identify people in their religious lives, but for a payoff concerning ev- uh, intellectual life, I'm not so sure they do mean so much. Mm. Now, of course, there's a lot more to be said, but I'll let you <laughs> let you direct the conversation. <laughs> I, know, I know that there is, uh, I, I mean, there's an enormous debate in Southern Baptist life and, and across some of evangelicalism right now about critical race theory and critical theory and things like that. And when I think about, and, and I'm, I'm the farthest thing from a specialist on any of this stuff, but I, I did try to observe for about 18 months before I started talking. So I'd at least have some amount of knowledge about what I was talking about, even if I wasn't a critical race theorist, but even the way that that conversation takes place seems to be to me again, uh, shallow and reactionary and, um, insufficiently, um, learned in the area of study versus people like, uh, Nathan, uh, 
I'm going to mispronounce his name too. Cartagena, who Cart Cartagena, I have no idea how to say. It. Sorry, Nathan, uh, at Wheaton, um, and others who say no. Once you study CRT, you're really dealing with racism embedded in law, and that's what it's about, and that's what it's trying to find. And then there's this wide spot in the middle. And so when I think about how you approached the scandal of the evangelical mind, it's that there's this segment of evangelicalism that is really unwilling to put in the hard work of study to find out what certain concepts are about, to know whether they're even talking about what they say they're talking about. Whether they come to the conclusion is irrelevant at this point. They're, they're, they're just saying stuff that isn't always related to what it is they say they're talking about. How are we ever going to get beyond that? Are we ever going to become serious, broad, studied people that are measured and, and really learned in what we're thinking? Well, let me try to say something positive first. I think that the situation you described is a, is a difficult one filled with problems. But it is the reverse side of a situation that does have some positive results in, in the United States, particularly um, Christian faith, Protestant Christian faith has been spread democratically. It's been a faith in which um, speakers who can uh, control an audience, popular writers who can reach an audience have had a tremendous amount of influence. Some of that influence has been helpful. It's been helpful evangelistically. It's been helpful to engage congregations uh, of laity who are, who are active. And so that just in simple terms, the democratic, individualized, personal, um, media-driven world in which we live in has not been entirely terrible for the Christian faith. It has been terrible in the terms you just described. Mm. Critical race theory is like evangelicalism. If you start talking about evangelicals or evangelicalism without pausing to, for a definition and pausing to survey controversies over the definitions, de uh, debates over the definition, then you'll get to the situation you describe quite accurately, where people are reacting, responding, demonizing as soon as they hear a phrase and what exactly the phrase means or the word means, who knows? Yeah. Well, <laughs> what does critic, if someone says, do you believe critical race theory? I would respond in the same way as I do now. And someone says, are you an evangelical? And I would say, if I can tell you what an evangelical is and what I think an evangelical is, then I'll answer your question and say, I'm an evangelical. If I could tell you what I think critical race theory is, uh, then you can decide whether or not that's dangerous or not. Mm -hmm. Because again, I'm an academic and I've done just a little study. It's going to take me what? five, 10, 15 minutes to explain what I think critical race theory is. <laughs> and so by that time, the person who wanted to ask the question will be tired or off or listening, you know, looking at his cell phone and on to something else. So yes, I, I think that the democratic, personal, sort of the, the, the vibrancy that springs up from below has been good in many, for many, many things, but not, not for this kind of intellectual labor. Mm. So that's a challenge for us, um, I think. So where where do you see uh, evangelicalism going in the future? Let's say in the United States first, since most of my listeners are uh, in the States, or at least in North America. Um, what, what are the next 15, 20 years hold? 
Well, historians are terrible prophets. So I, the simple answer is I don't know, but, but uh, there are some things that, that it can be said. Uh, we've referred to George Marsden a couple of times already, and George, George has made the really shrewd comment. He said, what, what, what's the best way of thinking about evangelicalism? It's like a, uh, a, a, a genus in biological terms. A genus has lots of species. There are some species of, of evangelicalism in which uh, the outlook for intellectual life really is, is very dismaying. But there are also some, maybe smaller in number, where the, the future is, is not at all uh, dismayed. Um, I actually, you mentioned the scandal of the evangelical mind, and I've been asked by Erdman's to, to write an afterword for a new edition of the book, which I've been, been working on. Nice. And it's been just uh, uh, very reassuring to find people at Baylor University. Historians like Thomas Kidd, philosophers mm. like uh, uh, Stephen Evans, who have been doing really excellent work. Uh, my Wheaton College younger colleague Timothy Larson has, has done a series of books, some for evangelical publishers, some for Oxford University Press, that show clear, hard, good thinking. The Gifford Lectures are among Scotland's most distinguished honors. It's an annual lecture series devoted to uh, considerations of Christianity and, and natural law science. In the last 20 or so years, five or six, six or seven of those have been delivered by identifiably evangelical people. Oh. Alistair McGrath, N.T. Wright, a couple of philosophers from the Christian Reformed Church, um, others who might not be called evangelicals, but are certainly fellow travelers. Mm. So you say, well, what's, what's the future for evangelicalism and intellectual life? If you look at uh, popular media and realize how susceptible many white evangelicals are to conspiracy theories, you say, gosh, it's terrible. It's going to be a disaster. If you look at the Gifford lectures and say, isn't this interesting? We've got people who believe in the resurrection of Christ who are giving these very prestigious lectures and their books are being published by major university presses. Things look really bright. Well, both reactions would be extreme. Both would be overreactions. But again, it, it's, it, the, it, the future for the word is not nearly as important as the future of the content of what Christian believers actually do. If, if believers continue on and, and demonizing political opponents, running after conspiracy theories, then the gospel suffers. Mm. If some uh, uh, work hard at thinking hard dialoguing in the way that scholarship needs to dialogue, being self-critical, doing good research, doing extensive research, then things might look differently. Mm. But again, the word evangelical itself doesn't predict a whole lot about the future of intellectual life. Dr. Knowles' latest book is Evangelicals. He edited it with uh, David Bebbington and George Marsden. And I'm just going to read some of the contributors. Um, Doug Sweeney, uh, Charlie Phillips, Thomas Kidd, uh, Darren Dochik. I have, uh, I think he wrote a, uh, a history of the, of middle America that has a significant part about, uh, Billy Graham in it. I think I have that book. I haven't read it yet. Uh, Molly Worthen, uh, DG Hart, Kristen Dumay, who I interviewed on uncommentary, Tim Keller, Jamar Tisby. This is a, a great looking book. I hope it does well. And I'm, I'm really excited about your, um, new edition of scandal and uh do, do you know yet when that might be out i think it'll be the spring of 2022 okay very good we'll look forward to that 
Mark Noel, thanks so much for your time today. That was my privilege. Thank you.